first story deals with a subculture of heavy metal music that some feel is sending a dangerous message to your kids. The forces of evil on the dark side of devil right. And I want to talk tonight about the devil and demons and witches and wizards. And we just mix it up with hardcore and aggression and come out with something that we face an original sound. Loud, fast, heavy, you know. Well, what do you got? What do you got? You're listening to Riff Worship, the podcast that attempts to answer the age-old question, what makes a riff? Talking about our favorite albums containing riffs, I'm one of your hosts, Austin Paulson. With me, as always, is the great Baldini, the great bald hope, Dylan Adams. Dylan, how are you doing today, buddy? Doing great. Doing great, man. I uh, was really excited about this warm February weather we were having, and it's we're back to these like kind of Arctic winter weather again. So, uh, Full you spring. Know. Yeah, it's that, that early spring. It's still it's still a little bit frigid up here in the north, but I am excited to get into this episode today. Uh, some of you who have listened to the show in the past may know that we did kind of a trilogy of sorts uh, based on a specific region of the country, a specific musician of sorts as well. Definitely a riff disciple, a worshiper of the riff, a guy who knows his way around a good riff. I am, of course, talking about Sammy Duet of Goat Horror. Sammy, how are you doing today, man? Uh, I'm, I'm making my way around a good whiff. A whiff, yeah. yeah a whiff. <laughs> I, ha- I almost had it. I almost had it, man. <laughs> I mean, a whiff. I mean, it's, it's hard to pass up a good whiff. We were That's speaking right. about canes early. I had a pretty good whiff of some canes yeah. early. Hell yeah, man. Ain't nothing, so, uh, ain't, ain't nothing wrong with that. Got to take it all in. I guess uh, I, I want to touch on first. You just came off of... Uh, your trip to Nam. How was it, man? How did you uh, enjoy your your uh, little vacation, your little stay at Nam? It was cool. It was a. Uh, it was interesting. It was like the first night. Well, no, wait. The second night, I got there on the Wednesday, and basically just hung out. And then the Thursday, there was a, or was it the Wednesday? I was there for like five days, dude. Oh, wow. <laughs> but uh. Either the first night or the second night, I can't recall. There was some kind of like induction, like this heavy metal induction thing that they were inducting uh, Sacred Reich into like the heavy metal Hall of Fame or somebody's heavy metal Hall of Fame. So I, I walk into the venue that this is happening and all that, and there's like a band playing and everybody's singing at tables and having dinner and all this shit. It was the weirdest shit. <laughs> I'm like, I. This ain't exactly for me, so I'm just going to go and roam around for a little bit. And uh, the first person I run into is Steve Zang from Samhain. Wow. <laughs> oh, wow. And, oh, man. I'm like, I'm like, hey, man, how have you been? And I, I was like, I'm not glad to see you. <laughs> because it was a little strange uh, scenario I was in there. It kind of seems like one of those things, you know, you, you often hear of guys going on a tour and being able to hang out and, and see old friends. But this definitely seems like a... It almost seems just like an old like veterans hall of like old army buddies getting in together and and kind of hanging out for a good chunk of the week. Yeah, it, it it it's cold, but the first day or two. But then after you see all the cool shit, because I'm a I'm a gear nerd. Like I, I I love amps, I love pedals, I love guitars, and uh, unfortunately this year. Uh, some of the bigger companies that I was looking forward to seeing some of the new products and some of these, uh, some of these companies make like um, 
one-off custom shop stuff for like just a NAM show, they weren't there, you know? And it was like, I was looking forward to actually seeing these magical instruments that you see on the internet that you never see in real life to actually see them. And the companies that made them weren't there this year. So that was a huge bummer. So uh, the first day I was there, I pretty much saw everything that I wanted to see. And after that, I was like, all right, I'm ready to get the fuck out of here, but I can't. So it was off to the ESP booth to bug them. <laughs> <laughs> what? How long have uh, How long have you been going to Nam for? This was my first year, actually. Really? Okay, interesting. Yeah. Okay. As your as your first kind of time here, like, what does a day for you look like? Are you kind of meeting with people? Are you kind of talking about your signature model, or maybe some of the pickups that you might use? Like, what what kind of goes into that when you're like? you know, working with these companies for so long and now you're here at NAM. Uh Saturday was a bit was my work day, so to speak. And I, I had to do some uh interviews with Seymour Duncan and an ESP, of course, at a bunch of questions they wanted to film and stuff. And I did uh a signing at uh Arachnid Cabinets. Okay. So that that was the whole reason I was there was basically to knock all that stuff out. I guess I can't really ask you what it was like before, but maybe if you've talked to some of your friends that have been going there a long time, did they kind of speak on maybe what's changed over the years, maybe like from back in the day to perhaps like now, uh, or, you know, you've been a gearhead, as you said, for a long time. Uh, do you notice some of the trends that are maybe happening in the industry? Do you see that around Nam when you're kind of looking around? Is it, you know, anything that you particularly notice? One thing I really noticed was like what I was talking about earlier. You know, they had these companies, which I'm not really going to name, but uh, that weren't there with their products. And they just had like a little office to where you went in and grabbed the card. Or if you were a dealer, you wanted to get in touch with somebody, you went in and talked to them. But there was like, they weren't like um, exhibiting any products or any of the crazy shit that they normally do every year, you know? <laughs> That's one thing that I noticed is a lot of these companies, bigger companies kind of scaled it back massively, you know, but and the, and the flip side of the coin, I was talking to people that had recently been like the last couple of years to NAM, And they said that like this last this year is, was like the biggest one so far since COVID, you know? Yeah. Okay. So it's definitely making a comeback. So maybe next year I'll get to see some sick guitars. Yeah. Not to say that I didn't see some sick guitars, but there were some sick guitars I was looking forward to seeing that I did. It definitely seems like the way gear is rolling out now is a little bit different too. With uh, I, I've definitely looked at like Sweetwater, Musician's Friend, and all of those post Nam to see all of those new models get released, or you see like you know in particular the ESP videos that'll get released of like all of the new models that are being released post Nam or anything like that. And it definitely seems like a lot of the newer models are being released like kind of sporadically like throughout the year as opposed to one lump release earlier in the year yeah it's you know working with esp they're explaining to me a lot of things that especially this year like it's hard for them to actually get like they were getting the 2022 models in last year you know and they were releasing the 23, 20, 23 models and the 22 models weren't even in stock yet, you know, because of the whole supply chain is just screwed, you know? So I think that's why 
you know, this year they kind of scaled back on like the actual ESP and E2 stuff and they focused more on the LTD stuff. And the stuff they did release this year is just fucking like it counts, you know? It might not be much, but the stuff that they did release this year is like phenomenal, you know? Instead of releasing like a shit ton of stuff, they just focused in rather than, you know, some kids waiting on a guitar since fucking 2022. And never received a guitar yet because it's never been in stock, you know? But enough of all that business talk. Let's talk about some cool shit. Hell yeah. Well, one uh, question we like to ask our guests is that, you know, obviously you are a person who has been listening to riffs for the majority of their life. You are, you've been writing riffs most of your life. You've probably heard a lot of bad riffs, but what makes a good riff? What to you makes a good, just solid riff? Something that catches your attention immediately, right? Whether it be something fancy with a million notes or it be a riff with two notes, it's what you have to feel it kind of. You'll you'll know when it's right when you hear it, you know. And I mean, and it goes for the person as well, you know. I have some riffs that I love that you would probably be like, man, that's the worst riff I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) But, you know, the, the whole riff thing, but on, on that note, when it's a good riff, it's across the board a good fucking riff. You know what I'm saying? Can you think of maybe a moment where you you knew, like maybe that those first initial riffs where you kind of like, that's different. That's like, you know, we've all had moments where we probably listen to music that our, our parents had on the radio or what have you. But then there was a moment where it's like, what the fuck is that? Like, I got to know what that is. Like, do you remember some of those initial riffs? Oh yes. Yes, absolutely. For almost every riff off the first black Sabbath record when I was a kid, absolutely scared the living shit out of me, but I knew that shit was cool. Yeah. You know, that definitely, that album definitely was the probably no, not probably definitely was the album that was like, man, I don't know what this guy's doing, but I got to figure out how to do this, too. Um, another one would probably be Judas Priest's Point of Entry. Okay, interesting that choice. Was, yeah. that, well, that was the first Judas Priest album I actually really heard all the way through. You know, I'd heard yeah. bits and pieces, and it never, I never really absorbed it until yeah. I heard that record. I was like, oh, shit, I get it now, you know? Dude, I think... There's some there's some jams on that like Desert Plains. That's a right, that's killer. a that fucking that not speaking of a riff. Yeah. Speaking of my god, that fucking opening riff. Man, that's a fucking riff, Jack. Yeah, you know? hell yeah, dude. There are riffs like fucking like like fucking KK down in Glen Tipton's throwing that shit out like fucking shredded cheese, you know? <laughs> it's just riffs everywhere on that album, man. It's it, fucking amazing. Both of those guys, I mean they're no slouches, but I think for me personally, especially like learning something like my first, one of my first records of all time was British, British steel. And so like learning something as rudimentary, but as powerful, cause it doesn't, like you said, I mean, it could be crazy. It could be simple. Like I loved playing along to grinder, like something like grinder is just like so heavy from that record or something like that. But I totally am with you on that. Yeah. I mean, even still to this day, that fucking riffing grinder is still fucking heavy shit. Yeah. I mean, you play that riff exactly like they played it, but with a little bit more of a distorted amp, mm-hmm. maybe tune it down a cut hair. 
It's fucking massive, man. Still to this day. That now that 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 is an example of across the board good riff. Uh, do you remember perhaps seeing some of these riffs uh, live for the first time? Like, what, what was your first show that you ever went to? Oh my god, man! I was a fucking child. Okay, it was the most it was the most terrifying moment of my life. Uh, it was on the Kiss Rock and Roll Over tour. Man, we're gonna be we're gonna be good buddies, man. That's one some of my first concerts ever. But uh, the Rock and Roll Over tour. Yes, and it was uh, Kiss and Blackfoot in New oh. Orleans. Wow! And and my mom took me to go see it. Okay, that's awesome. So, I'm, my mother's carrying me, okay? At this time. I mean, I could walk around, but dude, it was like fucking chaos. You know what I'm saying? So she has me on her shoulder, just holding me, trying to get into the venue and stuff. And for some reason, they're, they're, they were behind schedule or something like that by opening the doors. So it's this massive you know, crowd of people. It's just people get crushed waiting to get in. She has me. And she's holding me. I'm just like looking around, like, like, what the fuck is going on? There was a guy behind me smoking a joint, burning, <laughs> burning me with the joint. Okay, because oh he's like, God. he's like wobbling. And I remember he's just like, sorry, sorry, <laughs> and he's burning, like accidentally burning me with this joint. Then there's a guy. I'll never forget this as long as I live. There was a guy on the side of me that was just fucking wasted out of his mind. And he had like a butane lighter. So he would fill his mouth up with butane and try to blow fire with it, trying to act like Gene Simmons. And this guy is like, and like, he's so fucked up that he had to be inhaling the butane because he was just like fucking like sweat. <laughs> dude, it was insanity. And this is before the concert started. That's insane. You never stood a chance, man. You were always primed for this life. This it was meant to be. I, I, I survived it, you know. I, I lived to tell the tale. I mean, it kind of reminds me of uh, the first time we saw Gohar, Dylan. Where oh man, it was. Is... We barely knew each other. This was back in what, like 20... 2014. 2014. Release date. I guess. I guess it would have technically been the release date for the album. We uh, we lived in Bowling Green, just north of Nashville. Dylan was dating someone at the time with a with a child and he yeah. she grabbed his glasses and broke them in half. So he can't oh. he can't see at all. I'm new. I'm from the Chicagoland area. So I just moved to, to Kentucky and he's like, we're going to see Goat Whore tonight, but you have to direct me. And I've never really been to Nashville. So we're like yelling at each other. It's raining. And he's like trying to find the exit in. And, and we made it and uh, to see that album you know, played live on the, on the release date. I don't know if, I don't even know if you guys even had an opener for that date or not, but it may have just been a one-off thing. I remember that show at the XN. Yes. There was mm-hmm. no opening band. It was just us. Yeah. I heard it was the weirdest shit. Yeah. Yeah. It was a good time. Yes. Loved it. I, re- that, I, lo- I love that place though. And that place is fantastic. I love playing that place. That, uh, that whole, uh, block, it looks a lot different now than from that, that date of that show. But uh, I mean, they still got, uh, you know, uh, the, the, that venue and then the venue across the street, the end is like definitely the hub, I guess, for, for Nashville, for sure. I, I don't want to play the end ever again. No, we're, oh. <laughs> it's just so we played there once with like ringworm. Oh yeah. Okay. And they, they shouldn't have put that show there. No, Cause no, I no. mean, the place holds like fucking 25 people, but there's a new place that we played recently out there uh, called the cobra i believe that's it yeah 
Yeah. That place, top oh, notch. Yeah. That place is my new favorite place besides the exit in at, uh, in Nashville. Well, it was, it was actually really good to see you on this most recent tour. Uh, I caught you at Reggie's, uh, you know, with uh, Withered and uh, is it Spider? Uh, yes. Loved. I, I was not familiar with those bands. Loved seeing them live. Uh, you know, they, I love how like, it seemed like each city, there was a spot for like, kind of like a local band as well. Awesome. Had the best time, you know, this hit, uh, this album, um, seems kind of like a long time coming, you know, it's been like five years. And then of course with the lockdown and everything, I'm sure you were itching to get back out there and, and play, uh, now that it's kind of winding down and you, you kind of are maybe looking to something new in the future. How does it feel? Like, how did it feel to get it out? How did it feel to get, you know, playing like playing the album like on a tour fully it was definitely a relief because <laughs> i mean like you said uh, how can i put this i put a lot into this record like a lot yeah <laughs> and which was cool because i had a lot of times to really think about the songs themselves rather than in the past it was like tour 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 as much as possible all right bust out a record real quick so we could go back on tour, 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 tour as much as possible. So, I mean, there was always spots, you know, on those records that I'm not saying they're terrible records to anybody, any means anything, but there was always that one or two songs and that one spot was like, man, if I could have just had like another month, I could have really made this song better. You know, but, you know, that happens. It's, yeah, you know, yeah. unfortunately, I'm my own worst critic, I guess you could say. So I take it really hard when I hear it. And I'm like, man, I could have did this. I could have did that after the fact and whatever. But, you know, what do they say? Uh, art is never finished. It's always just abandoned. But, uh, but this last record, I had a lot of time to really think about every minuscule aspect of this record because I was forced to you know, to have nothing to do but work on the record, you know, I I triple checked and triple guessed myself many many times on this record, and uh, I have to say with this record, as far as like the songwriting goes, this is the happiest I've been definitely. But as far as getting out there and playing them live, that was another feat in itself because there was a lot of. Uh, how could I say there's a lot of experimental stuff guitar wise that I did that I never really messed with in the past. And I was like, how the hell am I going to pull this off with one guitar? But, you know, cheating, you cheat live. <laughs> I, I loved hearing it. Yeah. I mean, with, with angels hung from the arches of heaven, you know, especially in kind of, you know, that initial part of like lockdown is everyone in the same located in the same city is everyone living within like the new orleans or louisiana area no me and ben were the only two living here at the time okay so how does something like are you recording some i mean obviously technology is kind of allowed for us to maybe share things a little bit easier so with the process in lockdown you know are you just kind of rifling through some riffs or parts and sending them off to you know zach or ben or how is that working what I normally do is I get a structure of an entire song like that I feel is 90, 80% done. And I'll just, I'll just record it really quick here with like a fucking with easy drummer or whatever. And just, you know, just get a, a 
a rough version of the song and I'll just send it out to like Ben and Zach and TA and just say, you know, what, what do you guys think about this? You know? And sometimes they'll be like, ah, that's pretty good. We could work this, we could work that. Or sometimes they'll be like, stop fucking with it. It's good. I know how you are. Leave it alone. Or they'll be like, that's trash, but this riff is really good. So we could use that, you know, but I mean, it, it's not like I get butthurt about it. I mean, it's it's for the best of the song. You know, a lot of people get upset when you tell them that sometimes their riffs not so good. We can't we can't hit home runs every time. But uh, yeah. uh, you know, that's basically how we work. Is like I just try to get as much of the song finished as I possibly can. That way, when because Zach lives in Arizona and TA lives in uh, Texas. So it's not like it's not like we could just go, okay, guys, let's go jam real quick and this weekend, you know. It's a it's it's a big deal getting these guys down here. So I try to get the as much as the bulk of the song finished as I can before they get here. That way, they'll listen to it, they'll learn it, and we'll just start jamming it. And while they're here, we'll just kind of make adjustments as we go. I want to transition into maybe. Uh, some questions about our trilogy. Well, yeah, we recorded a trilogy. We kind of touched on several albums we felt like kind of best represented the scene that you're from, and you know, a, a three albums that you all happen to be on. Uh, we were it, big it fans. Just, it was it was just a coincidence, right? Just a coincidence. Just, just a sure. coincidence. Right. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, we really like these three albums. We, these really kind of stick out to us when, you know, when we think of like new Orleans and, you know, the quote unquote sludge metal scene. But, um, Dylan, I'm going to let you take this one first because this was technically an album that you picked. You were like, we have to pick this go whore record in particular. And was it just because it was like the first one you owned or your introduction to the band? It was my introduction to the band. Um, you know, I was, I was around uh, when the second uh, second iteration of Headbangers Ball was still on, when Jamie was still hosting it. Uh, so, like, I saw the um, Black and Sun Cult video constantly. Uh, like, it was just, like, every Saturday night at whatever time it was, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, it was just, like, blaring on. So, like, at 16 years old, 15 years old, however it was at the point, like hearing that track just constantly and seeing that, uh, was it a David Brodsky video? Yeah. Seeing that video, seeing how the color scheme was of the video and just like, okay, like I've heard these earlier records I'm really into. I've heard like these Lamb of God records. I've heard like the Pantera records. Uh, you know, that was around the same time frame I got into like Cannibal Corpse. So like hearing all this like really hyper aggressive shit at, the, at one point was just, it just sunk into me and like sold me on that and hearing that, hearing that full record at 16 and then going, okay, whatever this band puts out, I have to now listen to and like took a trip backwards a little bit. saw uh, found some of the earlier stuff, really enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, that was kind of my first foray into like black metal as well was like getting something that was, you know, as raw as you could get at that time for me. And then going, okay, what, what does this band's influences sound like? What, you know, what's Celtic Frost? What's, you know, the Norwegian scene, uh, you know, and, and moving forward. So with each record that came out after that, I was just hooked at this point. All right. So let me ask you a question really quick. Okay. And this is, this is a fun little fact now that we're talking about the Headbangers Ball and Mr. Jamie Josta and such. 
Did you see the episode where me and Ben were on there talking about uh, Alchemy of the Black Sun Cult? I tried to find this. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm a little younger than Dylan, so like I would have probably missed it, but I tried to find this fucking thing. I seen a picture of you guys, all three of you in the room, but I don't know if Dylan, Dylan did you ever catch that episode? You know what? I may not have. So you guys didn't see it. No, I, I missed it. It's yeah. a fun little fact. So it was on like national television. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? It was, it was when Headbangers Ball was big and everywhere. And uh, <laughs> I was wearing this shirt that nobody caught. Oh, so no. this is a fun little fact for you that it was a Destroyer 666 of women, wolves, and war. Okay. Yeah. It was this EP they released. Mm -hmm. And the cover of the EP is a wolf having sex with a woman in all its explicit glory. <laughs> Guess who wore the shirt on Headbangers Ball? Oh, and it perfect. did not it, it did not censor it a wolf <sighs> penis going into a woman's vagina. Straight <laughs> up on the Headbangers Ball. Dylan, I and, wonder why we can't find this episode anymore. Uh, That's I, so crazy. Couldn't, <laughs> couldn't even imagine it. <laughs> But they, I, and I didn't realize I was wearing the shirt until after the episode where I looked down and we were leaving. I was like, nobody's nobody said anything cool. Which and I, I'm sure it came as because you could, you know, you could edit a little bit, right? Like, I'm sure you could blur it out. They just didn't do it, huh? Uh, it, it's really hard to catch, but I knew it was there. Yeah, you knew. <laughs> <laughs> so. When we posted this episode in particular, we actually got a comment from uh, the bass player on that record, Nate, and he said uh, he was kind of talking briefly, just commented on the the um, the time of recording that record. It was it's crazy time recording the album. Uh, he mentioned it wasn't a uh, an album that was recorded to a click. There was no pre-production recording. It was just a wild time. And so with your first album for a new label, you got some new members in the band. What do you remember most about the process going into a haunting curse. We actually, we were about halfway done re writing the songs and a hurricane Katrina hit. Ah, so that put a big dampener on a lot of shit. And, uh, all our stuff was in lockdown because of the hurricane and a practice room here in new Orleans, because the hurricane, like they just basically shut the fucking city down. And uh, one t the, uh, one day they were like, "Hey, we're, you're not going to be able to get in the in the practice room for a while. So if y'all want to come grab whatever you need to get it out, now's the time to do it." So basically, we just grabbed all our gear out of our rehearsal room here and drove it all to uh, Arizona where Zach lives. And he found the practice room out there. We would just go out there for like a, a month every once in a while and just write. And uh, uh, Arizona is a very different place than Louisiana. <laughs> That's what I remember. I remember that very clearly. It was a kind of a, uh, how can I say it? it just, I, I guess because I've lived here for so long that I never really got to explore other places like on a long basis. Like, you know, you, you when you're on tour, you're in a city, you're there for a couple of hours, and then you're out. You don't really get to experience the culture of the city or anything like that. To where in Arizona, we were there for like a month at a time, several times. So getting to experience that was uh, interesting, to say the least. I, I definitely uh, 
I definitely figured out that I'm not meant for dry heat at all. <laughs> I, I'm not meant for the desert. Desert's not, desert's not my jam. Man. Well, it's wild to, uh, you know, you mentioned going out where, where Zach was, you know, you had you known him very long? Like he joined maybe what, like a couple years before? Was he still like a teenager by that point? He was like 18 by that point. Yes. Yeah. So you just yeah. like. Are you coming over? Is he like still living with his like parents or something? You're yeah, hanging he, out? Was still, he was still living with his dad. It's like, yeah, well, we're, we're coming over, man, with all the <laughs> shit. But uh, luckily, we had another friend of ours that lived there that uh, he, he runs his own business and stuff like that. And uh, he had this huge house with like a bunch of bedrooms and stuff. He was like, yeah, just you guys could stay with me. Don't worry about it. Here's your bedroom. Here's Ben's bedroom. You know, yada, yada, yada. So we just basically stayed with an old friend of mine instead of, you know, going crash Zach's parents' house. You know? <laughs> just sketty dinners and, you know, hanging oh, out. Man. Man. <laughs> like, what do we talk about without sounding too crazy in front of his parents, you know? So you're uh, you're rehearsing out in Arizona. How, how About how long did it take until you're able to actually, like, go in and record? We finished up a bunch of the songs while we were in Arizona. Then finally, uh, it was okay for us to come back to Louisiana and get our practice run back. So we just came, we finished like maybe two or three more songs there and just rehearsed the hell out of them. And then went in the studio and went for it. Uh, as, far as, as far as a timeline, I can't really remember, you know? It was just kind of, it was just kind of like go time, you know? Yeah, I feel it. you've slept since then. So I understand, you know, um, how did you exactly get hooked up with uh, Eric Rutan? Uh, actually, Ben had did a couple of Soul and Green records with him. That's right. Uh, and uh, he was like, we trust me. Because I was like, I was, I wasn't sure who I wanted to work with on the next record. And then Ben had brought up the idea of going and going to work with Eric. And I was like, well, let's see what happens, you know? With, um, you know, how does he compare to maybe like, you know, your Spike Cassidy or, uh, you know, Kurt Ballou or, or you know, or uh, uh, Jarrett Pritchard? Like what, how does he different in the studio versus some of the other producers or engineers that you've worked with? Eric is very adamant about your performance. Ah. Good. And when I say very adamant about your performance, is saying that you better have your shit together as tight as possible, or you risk getting your head kicked in. <laughs> he's, he's he's almost like the fucking Phil Spector of death metal. You know? Oh man, <laughs> I I've heard the drill sergeant term used quite a bit with him. Um, like a lot. Well, those videos are so great with the, you know, you always see the uh, behind the scenes music videos that Metal Blade will put out. And he's just like, go, go, go. Like, yeah, he's not fucking around. That, yeah. that's, I, I mean, I have to give it to him as well, because he from that experience, making that record with him made me a better guitarist awesome. because he will point out your fucking weaknesses and he'll be like, you suck at this. You suck at that. You need to work on this. Go in the next room. Come back in an hour. And you better have it together. I guess. I guess you. Uh. You know. You weren't uh, strayed from working with him after that. The. You know. Knowing how he can be in the studio. I mean, you went back for several releases 
I wonder, you know, what did you learn from that process initially? And did it, you know, has it persisted? Like from what you learned from that, you know, recording and writing experience with The Haunting Curse, you know, what have you learned from Eric that has maybe stayed into the present day of working in Gohor? Like I said, just being just as proficient it. on your instrument yeah. as you possibly can when it's go time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was like, I didn't want to go with him. Initially, I didn't want to go back with him on uh, carving out the eyes of God, to be honest with you, because we had so many issues with the guitar rig and the guitar and stuff that I have a specific tone that I like to get. And he, I'm not saying he wasn't willing to get that tone, but it, we're on such a short uh, schedule when we were recording A Haunted Curse that he was just like, hurry up and plug it into this amp. I know it sounds good and we'll just crack it with that. But then I was like, well, I, I don't use that. I use Randall's. At the time, I was using Randall's. So... I wasn't really stoked about the guitar tone on that record. So when it came down to doing uh, Carving Out the Eyes of God, I was like, I'm not sure if I want to go back to this guy, if it's going to be like this again, because I want to get my guitar sound, you know? And uh, he was like, look, I don't care what it takes we're going to use your guitar sound. We're going to use your amp. We're going to use your guitar. I want to do this record with you guys. So that's, I gave him the benefit of the doubt. I was like, all right, here it is. Let's see what you got. And there he captured that beautiful, that beautiful, beautiful guitar sound you hear on Carving Out the Eyes of God. He exceeded my expectations on that one as far as the guitar tone goes. Yes. The other thing we kind of notated in this particular episode uh, that maybe I wanted to maybe get out of you a little bit was that uh, you toured the hell out of it. I mean, was this perhaps like the longest touring cycle that you did? Like, was this, or was there maybe another album where you were out on the road longer? I mean, you, it seemed like you released the record and then you just stayed out on the road forever. We we did a lot of shit on that record. I, I want to say the only one that we did more touring on than that record was maybe Blood for the Master. Okay, because I think for Blood for the Master for uh, for a year, we were home for maybe <laughs> I want to say Jesus Christ, maybe two months. Yeah. Oh wow. And it, yeah, Blood for the Master was busy, like that was insane. But I remember, yeah, Horning Curse. We did a lot of touring, but I think Blood for the Master topped it. Just it was just non fucking stop. For blood for the massive. Well, I mean, some of the the touring lineups or packages that that you were a part of. I mean, you played with some pretty pivotal groups that I imagine that influenced you. Maybe bands that you had a lot of respect for. Just to name a few. I mean, Emperor, High on Fire, Celtic Frost, Venom, uh, some Dates with Sun. You were even on uh, Cattle Decapitation's first headlining tour that year as well. Yeah. I, I mean, do you remember maybe some of the experiences that you had with i don't know maybe like tom warrior or matt pike or you know travis ryan being you know with those guys man uh well of course celtic frost is like my favorite band of all time yeah yeah and i remember we had just was it it was either the emperor dates or the venom dates oh and the celtic frost dates were all 
in the same time frame, basically. So it was like, okay, get ready to go tour with Emperor. Then I get to spend some time with Venom. Then I get to tour Celtic Frost. And I was like, I was like, what is real? <laughs> is this really is this really fucking happening? It was like it was like those three tours just like were like bam, 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 like immediately one after the other to where I was like, what the fuck is happening right now? <laughs> it's like, what next? We got Slayer, we tour with Slayer next, what's happening? Yeah, I'd have to imagine like a sixteen year old, you know, Sammy would just be like, mind blown, man. Yeah. Uh, one of the best moments on the Celtic Frost tour, I'll never forget this. We were playing at a a place called Pops in Saugan, Illinois. Okay. And uh, it was just us and Celtic Frost, I believe, and maybe a local band. And uh, we were sound checking. And uh, we sound checked with the song Alchemy of the Black Sun Cult. And they had like a bunch of like bleachers in the back. It was a pretty big place. So we stopped the song. And I hear from the balcony, I should have copyrighted that. <laughs> and I look up. And it's fucking Tom G. Ward. Perfect. <laughs> I'm like, I will take that as a compliment, sir. And that would have been on, I don't know if that was the last tour cycle that Celtic Frost did or not. That was for the Monotheist record, obviously. Yes, I think they did one tour after that with like Typo Negative in the U.S. That's right. I do remember yeah. that one now. Yeah. But yeah, that was, tour that was towards the end of Celtic Frost. Yeah, unfortunately. Even those like Emperor dates, I don't think they were back in the States till like last year, if I'm not mistaken. Like it it's yeah. been a while since they'd been here in the United States. So I mean some some pretty incredible stuff. Um I uh maybe want to shift gears into perhaps our acid bath episode. Uh one thing in particular that really helped us out in doing research was like the acid bath archive is just yep. so full of information and like I don't know how even whoever runs that page is able to access like all of these things, you know, these old tapes that you would have thought disintegrated with time, you know, how does, how do they find that stuff? Is it from your like personal collection? Or are they getting in touch with people? It's this guy named Josh that does it. And he's, I guess he's like a, a younger gentleman. So he doesn't really have a job or anything. I think he's still really young. So all he does is try to, track all this shit down however he can you know is there um is there anything i'm sure it's a constant surprise but has there been anything on the page where you're like how the fuck did he get that like anything all the all the fucking time i'm like how the fuck did you find that it's just constant like i i can't believe so much of this exists exists which is is great you know this band that you know it's the legacy and kind of the mystery of this band for so long you maybe didn't have a lot of information before, but you know, you kind of coming on here and, and, and doing interviews or doing your live streams and um, you know, all of this footage has kind of opened up the world to like maybe some of the uh, information on that band. How do you feel about, you know, the legacy of this band kind of now over like several years and, and in, in the modern age, now that all of, you know, everybody can kind of check this record out that, you know, wasn't even available on streaming up until like a couple years ago at this point. Yeah. It's, it's very, uh, surreal how now it's probably bigger than the band's ever been now than it was when we were together you know it's it's crazy how that how it kind of worked out i mean i guess better late than never you know 
but uh yeah it's it's real real strange how that worked out you know back then you know i remember touring and stuff and playing to like fucking three people a night and nobody really gave a shit you know and then all of a sudden it's like this big deal and i was like oh okay <laughs> I, I guess it all was all was for something you know you know it's it's remarkable too that like when a record comes out you know almost 30 years actually 30 years ago right uh 94 yes, 93 94 um, yes kite string pops is gonna the anniversaries this year yes 30th anniversary perfect, yeah. um and it's and, wild uh, i'm not gonna say anything about that so no. yeah i'm just saying oh. it's the 30th anniversary of kite string this year interesting just saying just there we go. saying <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you, you didn't hear it here yes um, you heard it here <laughs> but it's it is kind of because I remember hearing that record for the first time in like 08, 09, right before I moved to the Tennessee area. And I just had a friend named Joey that was like, hey, man, wreak havoc on my hard drive. Take anything you've never heard. Put it on a disc. Take it with you. You're going to love it. And that's the first time I heard that record. It was like I'd never heard of it. Couldn't find anything else out about the band. Uh, I remember I saw like a promo photo. I saw you and was like, there's a connection like. You know, I know Sammy's in Goat Horse, so like there's the connection there. Uh, and just hearing that and kind of being blown away at how different it was from what Goat Horse was at that time and being able to go, okay, this is like an amalgamation of like kind of Alice in Chains-esque stuff, uh, meeting like some early 90s death metal and just like this blending of all these other extreme sounds. And just going, okay, this is a really interesting band that I had no clue about because how I would get into stuff back then was like, I'd read about it. I'd read like Terrorizer magazine or like Metal Edge or like, you know, I'd buy like a book that Decibel talked about or anything like that to just learn more. And I'd buy records just off the whim of it. So having that opportunity to hear about a band that I thought at that point, no one really knew about was great. Not a whole lot of people knew about the band while we were together unfortunately you know and yeah you know, it, it is what it is you know yeah well with that that first record it, it's essentially like the all the like a culmination of the demos that came before it. like all the songs that you had had at that point you just kind of yeah we just like well, we're putting it we this is everything we have and we're recording everything and uh i don't remember initially if it was our plan to actually put all the songs on the record or if we were just going to pick out the ones that came out really good. But at the end of the day, we are just like, put them all on there. Fuck it. I mean, I, I know it could be a little bit much for some people, but, you know, we didn't, weren't really thinking of it like that. We were just kind of like, just here it is. Yeah, because how long had you been sitting on some of those songs for? Probably like a good little bit, right? Yeah, there were like, I want to say maybe one or two songs on that record that were written before I was even in the, in the band. Um, and I wonder, like, you know, with that, you kind of, you, uh, to lack of a better phrase, you kind of like exhaust the vault. You get everything, you just put it out, and maybe that's kind of why the sophomore record sounds as different as it does to the debut. Yeah. I mean, you're basically just different people at that point in time. So you're, you know, and and maybe some people are, going the more extreme route. Some people are going off and doing other things musically or whatever, but I would have to imagine that's exactly kind of why that, all right, let's just start from scratch and see where it takes us. I'm pretty sure that was our mentality at the time. We're like, just, 
we're just going to throw all this shit on the record and then for the next one we're just going to start almost like a almost like a new band almost not really but a, a fresh slate you know what i'm saying we talked a little bit about some of the music videos from you know these two albums that we talked about especially the acid bath store with the gator but one particular music video that i've always wanted to know about uh that you just happen to be a part of uh from equilibrium the crowbar record i feel the burning sun this is like my favorite crowbar song of all time it's my one of my favorite videos because it's definitely not like it's definitely not like a hair metal video it's you don't have like you know a bunch of guys with girls all around them that's just dudes like kind of bellied up at the bar watching watching the saints game i love this video it's pretty much what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it's like, I don't know, like 25 years old at this point. Do you remember much about recording this music video? What can you tell yes. me about Pat's pub? Like, I want to know all about it. Yeah. I remember it was like a, it was a weeknight actually. And, uh, Kirk was like, well, come over. We're going to start shooting some shit for the video. It was like a Wednesday or something. It was like, we're going to shoot the video on Wednesday. That's all I knew. Yeah. <laughs> We're shooting the video on Wednesday. So I'm like, cool. All right. So he's like, meet us in the practice room and we'll come up with a plan. Yeah. Because it was a, a friend of Kirk's that was shooting a video that was just like one of his drinking buddies. I mean, he does, he does great work, but it was like no real plan of what was happening. It's like, we're going to make a video. So we're like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, Put you all you guys in the practice room, and we're gonna film you guys playing the song a few times. Then we're gonna do some individual shots of you guys playing the song. Then we'll figure it out from there. So we did all that stuff in a matter of like three hours. Okay, it was like fucking nothing. And I'm like, okay, what next? And then Kirk's like, well, fuck, let's just go to Pat's. <laughs> and I'm like. It was like, dude, I, I gotta. And this is when I was living in Thibodeau, Louisiana, at the time. Okay. So it was like, it was like an hour for me to drive to New Orleans to get to the video shoot, and then an hour to drive back to Thibodeau. So I'm like, oh, you know, and it was like maybe ten, eleven o'clock at this point at night. So I'm like, I know what's gonna happen. <laughs> so I'm gonna sit this out, and you guys do what you gotta do. So apparently that was when uh, Jeff Okanowski was playing bass and uh, Craig uh, Nudemach was playing drums. And apparently they went to uh, Pat's and were like, all right, just start filming. <laughs> and they just were filming them hanging out with Pat's pub. That's awesome. So I was like, I was like, yeah, I'm totally, I, I know where this is going to lead and, I don't want any part of it takes a lot. It takes a, you know, special kind of foresight to know exactly what you're getting into. If I walk through Pat's, I don't know what, if I don't know where I'll wake up tomorrow. <laughs> it's not as bad as it used to be. Let's okay. put it that way. <laughs> Cause uh, at that point in time, when they were shooting that video, there were, uh, there were several bars and like within walking distance. And th those bars would never close. Those bars would close when people left. So, yeah, the last I heard 
from the end of the shooting of that video was a. Uh, <laughs> it went into the wee hours of the morning. I believe that it was to where, even, where even the cameraman couldn't even like hold up the camera anymore because <laughs> they were just they just stayed up drinking all fucking night and stuff. So that's, that's beautiful. I I also like I like the um the story of you kind of joining too, where it's so matter of fact, you just knew instantly you if correct me if i'm wrong but you were at a pantera show backstage and you just went like hey guess what i'm your new guitar player and that's that's it it's such confidence that's, that's when uh uh todd strange was playing bass gotcha and me and todd were pretty good friends and i saw him at the pantera concert and uh basically acid bath had fucking completely dissolved at that point and that's when i i just said it jokingly and I just I just went up to him and was like, hey, guess what? I'm the old new guitar player. And he looks at me and goes, seriously? And I go, maybe. And he goes, <laughs> and, and he says, go tell that to Kirk. And Kirk's like standing right there. So I go up to Kirk and I'm like, hey, Todd told me to tell you I'm the old new guitar player. <laughs> and Kirk's like, well, give me your number. Take my number and I'll call you on Monday. There you go. And I'm like, all right. And then he called me and he was like, all right, you serious? I'm like, why not? Yeah. So he gave me a list of like five songs to learn. He was like, come over, learn these songs and come over on the weekend and uh, we'll jam and see what happens. Yeah. And it all worked out perfectly, you know? Yeah. It seemed like the process for getting you in the studio for like, or just working on Oddfellas Rest was like pretty quick. So like, you know, I, I'm, you got in where you could, it almost seemed like they had already been pretty heavily into recording the record. Oh yeah, they well actually when I joined, they were going into the studio like a week later. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, so like, they were like they had a recording of December Spawn and um, Planets Collide, like an actual real nice demo versions of these songs. So he was like, "Okay, learn these songs and come out of my house next weekend." And I'll teach you as much of the other songs that I can. And uh, that was it. Then we, at the last fucking minute before we went into the studio while we were rehearsing, we wrote, uh, Beyond, uh, I helped write uh, Beyond the Black Horizon. Yes. So that's a, certainly a, a, a song that, you know, they often credit you as with that main riff where did that yeah. where did that main riff come from is it just through jamming or have, was that one you kind of had in your back pocket like what was going on with that uh, one it was actually it was believe it or not it was supposed to be an acid bath riff oh. that i was going to use on the third record but it wasn't really like that we made it more of saint vitus ish for the crowbar stuff but it was a uh, it was uh, I'd written that for the third acid bath record that never really got used or I never I never we never got the really chance to flesh it out, you know. Yeah. We'll talk about a riff too that's like it's pummeling. It's almost like hypnotic with like how it that repetition. There's just something about like that good repetition where it's just literally beating you in the skull and it's like, oh my god, I don't know how much more I can like this guy, it's heavy. It's so heavy. <laughs> I appreciate that. But yes, it's all uh it's all Dave Chandler for St. Vitus's fault. <laughs> uh what oh damn, that reminds me of another oh. exit in show. What was what, what did uh <laughs> what did Wino save to Dave? 
Oh my God. Uh, he turned like we saw Wino and like, or we saw St. Vitus in 2012, right? When uh, I think it was Lily 65 came out. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. And Wino turns around and looks at Dave and just goes, play the heavy one. Like, <laughs> come on, like, come yeah. on. Like, Seriously, like, just, oh, play the heavy one. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's all of them. Jeez, yeah, exactly. <laughs> play, play the heavy one. Hey. Play the heavy one. Right, we're playing the heavy one now. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, the other thing we like to do on the show for sure uh, is we love album liner notes. We love kind of doing deep dives on that. And there's a lot of like fun little nick- nicknames on the record. We have, you know, for yourself, Sammy Satan. Uh, Jimmy Bauer as Wicked Cricket. Uh, you have T God Creep Strange. Um, you also have a bunch of guests on this record. You have like fellow musicians and friends of the area. Um, you know, uh, Big Ross uh, Carpelman on uh, keyboards. Yeah. Is he, how is he kind of related into the music scene? He was playing uh, organ, I would say, for um this other project that Jimmy had called clear light. Okay. Yeah, and that's yeah. more like, it's more like a jam band kind of thing, but uh, he was playing with them for a while, but he had added some um, keyboard stuff to uh, odd fellows rest and equilibrium. He did stuff on both those records. Uh, and he also played keyboards in a Christ inversion as well. How about uh, Sid Motts on, uh, additional percussion. Who who is Sid? Sid Mutz was a like a basically a tech of ours that would come on the road and help out every now and then. And he was a, a phenomenal drummer. He actually played drums on Equilibrium. Gotcha. Okay. So he was he would just come in and add. You know, we would just go in there the wee hours of the morning with nothing to do and just be like just hanging out with our friends. You know, it's like, hey, you want to play something off of this? And he's like, did what? And I was like, I don't know. Go find something to play in the other room put it on there so perhaps the name that like has gotten the most like head scratching moments between the three of us swindle who is not here he had to know swindle wanted me to like beg me to ask you yep who the fuck is big mike the testicles that guy was a guy from mississippi <laughs> a very very he, he's no longer he's no longer with us unfortunately r.i.p but uh, he was a he was a he was a large gentleman, probably about four hundred pounds. And uh, but he had elephantitis of his testicles. I was not and expecting he, this to go. And he, he, and he was proud of them. <laughs> so it'd be like, and what we call it, we call him his uh, nickname was Big Daddy Rouge. <laughs> Sorry, his, his nickname was Big Daddy Rouge. <laughs> so. It would just be it would just be something where he would just like and just drop his pants and show you these enormous testicles, dude. like they were fucking enormous, dude. <laughs> so that was a uh, that was Mike, a guy from Mississippi oh that was a morbidly obese that had these morbidly obese oh, testicles. Man, just this like a bag like... of grapefruits. Oh my god, <laughs> it was, dude, it was insane. <laughs> this is like some wild like. When you said there, well, there's let me sit down and let me tell you, it's like almost like a Paul Bunyan folklore tale or something. This guy from Mississippi, <laughs> but uh, oh. he actually did the background vocals on Planets Collide at the okay. end. Okay, oh, uh, wow. 
Um, so, yeah, but what we're actually going to do for the actual artwork on the actual disc no, of the CD, no. <laughs> we're going to get a picture of his testicles and put it on the disc. Yes. <laughs> oh. oh, that's because I, I had when I first saw Crowbar before they were Crowbar, they were called the Slugs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it was uh, it was Kirk when Kirk was like bodybuilding, where he was fucking huge. Okay, and then you had you had big uh, sexy T, which T's fucking enormous, and uh, they had Wayne Fabra that played drums for Necrophagia, and he's like another gigantic son of a bitch. <laughs> and they were called the they were called the slugs, okay. So you had these three enormous guys playing this like slow, doomy music before it was cool. And like Kirk would go on stage and say, "Yeah, we're the slugs, and then we we're gonna play slow. And if you don't like it, come tell us." <laughs> I mean, you had these enormous fucking dudes, and I ain't gonna tell him shit. <laughs> so, but anyway, they were called the slugs, and they had a shirt. On, on the back, it just said balls <laughs> <laughs> in big black letters. <sighs> so they wanted to kind of recapture that thing with uh, Mike and his enormous balls. Oh, man. Dude, and put his enormous balls on the actual disc of the CD disc, like <sighs> the artwork. That's almost as good as uh, what? Tad God's, Tad's balls? God's balls record. Yeah. <laughs> man, that is. <sighs> I was hoping the story would be something like this. Uh, the uh, record company kind of frowned upon us doing that. So that was uh, that idea went out the all window. This, all these big wig record label guys really fucking it up for the rest of I us. Mean, <laughs> I agree with you. Not not only is the record heavy, like beyond sonic sound and everything, is it? it's fucking weighty. Like literally, it's a weighty <laughs> record. Like, my God. I, get, I also want to ask, is this how you got in contact with uh, Keith? Keith Falgo? Is it Falgo or Falgo for the Gohor record? No, actually, Keith Falgo had uh, actually done the Acid Bat demo. Oh, okay. Yes, so we recorded the demo with him. It was a, he was a good friend of Jimmy Kyle, the drummer for Acid Bat. They were really good friends. I think he, Keith was actually from uh, Morgan City, Louisiana, where Jimmy's from. And uh then Keith went to like a full sale recording studio in Orlando, Florida, and he had some free recording time due to his like scholarship or something. And was like, "Hey, you guys want to come record real quick?" And we we're like, "But well, we don't have any money, so we scrounged all the money we could and got our asses to Orlando and recorded the demo." But Keith Falgo has been a he's been a a friend of ours for a very long time. So and he actually produced uh, pagan terrorism tactics as well. Interesting. Okay, got it. Okay, well, it's good to see where the connections are. On everybody's on everything in this area. It, it seems we're all friends, man. Yeah, definitely. Oh, you said you mentioned Jimmy too. One of my favorite aspects of this record, and I'm sure I'm speaking for Dylan too, is like there are Jimmy Bowerisms all over this thing too, where he's like just shouting something out or like you know doing whatever. I I want it like. Is there like just a tape like hours long of just Jimmy just shouting nonsense? I hope it exists. Well, when he plays, he he he, he uh, for lack of a better term, sings while he's playing uh -huh. drums. <laughs> so you know when you mic a drum kit, you have everything close mic, and there's a couple of mics on the overheads to capture 
The symbols. Jimmy's symbols are about right here. Those mics are about right here. So when Jimmy's playing drums and it's going, <laughs> you turn up those mics, and what do you hear? Oh, just Jimmy Bauer singing. Perfect. I think it's all. I think it's all in the gravity. I believe it is. Yeah, yeah. Where it. They, yep. they they fade out all the music except for the overhead mics, and you could hear Jimmy like moaning while he's playing drums. So beautiful. That's that's yeah. Uh, it's. A lot of people do that and don't realize that they do that, believe it or not. Like when I was, uh, I do that when I'm tracking guitars as well. Because uh, I remember I was tracking with Rutan one time. I, it was for, uh, God damn it. It was a song for Carving Out the Eyes of God. And it was a particularly fucking difficult part. And I was like, just, just and normally I just hear my playback through the, uh, studio monitors in front of me but this part was giving me so much fucking grief trying to play it that i was like dude give me some fucking headphones and just crank the shit out of it and i'll i i, I think i'll be able to nail it if i just have it fucking loud as shit so i start fucking tracking it and i hear uh see rutan kind of i'm like i stop playing i take the headphones off like Dude, what are you doing? He's like, do you hear what you're doing? I'm like, I, yeah, I hear my playing. He's like, no. You're like humming while you're playing. I'm like, what? He's like, he's like, do it again. There was like a, a another mic in the control room, so I'm playing it. All you can hear is like the pick attack of the unplugged door <laughs> with nothing comes to, and he going, so yeah. That, that's uh but anyway jimmy bauer has that shit all over his goddamn drum tracks on fucking odd fellows yes oh, hell yeah. <laughs> all yes. over i just want i want that reissue in the future where it's just the like the outtakes of his fucking like whatever nonsense like it would just have to be like the overhead mics of him just playing and just going <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funny that like it's funny that you said that, that it's all over the album because I watched just randomly one evening, like I watched the broken glass video and like he's tracking drums for the album. He's doing it on the recording of like them tracking that album. I went, there's no way he's not all over those mics on his tracks. Like they just had to like, they had to bury him in there or something. Studio magic sometimes. <laughs> there you go. Uh, luckily they were only on the, some of the overhead mics that were closer to him. But yeah, that's uh, that shit's all over that fucking record. Just Jimmy fucking moaning and groaning and yelling. <laughs> the um, I couldn't find too much about it. I saw a shirt online for the Nolans Swamp Tour. Is that 1998? Oh geez, was that like I God, Soy Green and Crowbar? I'm assuming because you know, like the shirt I saw doesn't exactly signify like who was on the tour with you but i would have to imagine just from some of the dates in new york city and uh you know some of the spots like all of the i think there was even you guys maybe played milwaukee metal fest that year and all sorts of shit yes it was it was soiling green i hate god and crowbar man they did a tour together and we did it in the u.s and we did it in europe as well it was it's one of those situations you know to where if that happened nowadays Oh man! It would be a big deal. It w yeah. But back then, back then nobody gave a shit. 
You know, well, there was that I saw like a flyer for like a two day. I don't know if you'd call it like a festival, but like a two day show, two day kind of back to back show at like CBGB's where you all three of you guys played. And it was like ten dollars a night. And I'm like, wow, like some of the names that are popping on here. This is insanity. Yeah, that was like some it was a fest. I think a buzz oven anal cunt was on it. Yeah. A crisis. It was a bunch of great bands. Yeah. Was this the was this maybe the show where you filled in uh, for I, I Hate God on vocals, perhaps? No, I think Seth from Anal Cunt filled in that night. Gotcha. So you brought up CBGBs. Like, everybody's kind of got a CBGB story uh, that was able to play it. You know, what's a, do you have a CBGB story about playing there? The same story that everybody else has. I walked <laughs> into the bathroom, I saw the toilet, and I walked out. <laughs> It was just, I mean, it was a cool place. It was definitely, uh, 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 how can I describe it? Run down is a good way to put it. It's definitely seen its years. Let's put it that way. But yeah, it was just, it was just a small dive punk bar. You know what I'm saying? With a horrible fucking toilet. Hey, we've all seen our fair share. I talk about the end. Man. Oh man, the one, that's the one where you have to brace the door with your foot. Oh, so no absolutely. One comes in. Yep. I feel like, uh, yeah, I'd feel so claustrophobic. There was, one. uh, you, Austin, you weren't around during this time, but uh, Nashville had a venue called the Muse for a lot of years. I played the Muse many times. That is, Hell yeah. I thought it was a great venue. It sounded awesome. Uh, but the the trick with all of my buddies was like, you can't use the bathroom at the Muse because like you'd go and there were bullet holes in the wall and like, you know, it's, it's a venue bathroom. It's not the greatest, but it was like, oh, no, no, I have to at least use it one time. <laughs> like I have to test my metal here. <laughs> What's the, what is it now? It's like a, it's a, a Domino's. It's a Domino's. Now. It's a Domino's. There was a secret bathroom, believe it or not. Oh, that's even better. Damn. Yes. That you kind of had to go. Fuck. It was almost between the st- back of the stage. It was almost like a backstage bathroom, kind of, but it was still accessible to everybody. And like, not a lot of people knew it because it was like between the stage and the actual backstage. So it was like that little hallway thing before you went outside to go smoke. Yeah, there was a hidden bathroom that was actually wasn't that terrible. In that place. <laughs> this, this might this might be my new favorite aspect of the show: bathroom war of like no <laughs> man, venue. the bane of my existence. Uh, it's yeah, I've I've been to a few shows to like at the New Daisy Theater in Memphis, and it is like I have I still have flashbacks about like I saw Cannibal Corpse there when I was like sixteen. Nightmarish shit in that bathroom. <laughs> You know, it was a cannibal corpse, dying fetus, uh, dying fetus, necrophagist, and unmerciful, all on tour wow. together. And uh, this was like the maybe one of the first tours for Kill. Um, and I remember, sixteen years old, I basically grew up in a small town, and like going and seeing that bathroom, and it was just, it, it looked like a murder scene. It looked like a Fulci film. Like it was terrifying. You became a man that day. Yes, I did. <laughs> Yeah, you run into some gross ones every now and then. <laughs> um, so one question I typically ask every guest, Sammy, is um, if you were approaching a new fan that never heard any of the bands you were in, heard any of the music you had performed, what would be the song or songs that you would give 
to that person to listen to to perfectly describe each act that you were in? Fuck, man. One song? Oh, one song or songs from each group. I would have to see what kind of person this is. Okay. okay. It would depend on what type of person. If he seems like he's borderline serial killer-ish, I would definitely <laughs> introduce him to Goat Whore first. <laughs> if he was really into drugs or anything, I would definitely introduce him to Astabath or Crowbar first. When, you, when you're, uh, you know, receiving your accolades at the Hall of Fame, you know, for, you know, extreme metal, which I'm sure they're building at this very moment. What, um, what, what like, what are, is there a riff that you're particularly proud of? Like, fuck, I was, that was one that I'm like, I was on it to th- that day for sure. Fuck, man. That's a hard one. Yeah. Sorry. Or you could be multiple. Um, it would probably be the thing that everybody would expect is, uh, the opening riff to Apocalyptic Havoc. That's a doozy. It's simple, <laughs> but effective. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a gut feeling. It's, it's that, it's that kind of internal shit that you can't describe to anybody. It's, it's indescribable. You know, as you hit on this earlier, Sammy, you hear a riff and you just fucking know, like you just, you don't even have to explain to anybody. You just fucking know. And if you can look at your buddy that's standing there with his beer in his hand and you just make eye contact there for a minute, it's like, you fucking know, uh, like it doesn't even take physical movement, anything. It's just, it's ingrained in you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's when you know the shit's good, you know? Yeah. When it just makes you make that face. That's, that's it. <laughs> that face, you know, that face. I, I guess I want to ask, you know, you guys are, you know, you mentioned Ringworm. I, you know, whenever I look forward to a Goat Whore record, a Ringworm record, I know I'm going to be in for a treat. You guys are like always kind of, I would say you guys are consistent and then, but also keep pushing forward. You know, what can we look forward to maybe in 2024? What are we looking, maybe even in the next couple of years? What do you hope to accomplish going forward now that, uh, you know, this album's out, you've kind of wrapped up touring for this album? What uh, what do fans have to look forward to for the uh, Goat Whore Camp? Well, we're going to try to do a little bit more touring this year. Okay. It, uh, probably not hit it as hard as normal because we want to start concentrating on writing a new record. Perfect. Which we uh, have a lot of pretty much almost finished. It's like we just have a, maybe a couple of the songs left to write. So it'll probably be out sooner than later. That's awesome to hear, man. I'm I'm really stoked for it. Um, I guess the last question I have for you would be, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier with the recent tour, I feel like you guys are a big champion of taking out uh, younger bands. You are avid fans of the scene. Are you perhaps listening to anything right now? Is there maybe uh, a younger group or the next class of musicians that you feel like maybe people should be looking out for? Man, you caught me at a bad time. Because I, I mean, right now I've just been listening to my, you know, not really checking out new stuff, just kind of selling back into the old stuff like Celtic Frost and Judas Priest and Bathory and Venom, Motorhead, you know, just kind of stick, just kind of not really looking out for anybody new per se that like I should be, but I'm like, I just want to listen to my old man music. You know, <laughs> but but uh, there is, I think I would say as far as a newer band that I think is surprisingly amazing that everybody should probably give a listen to that you probably 
either you're going to like it or you're not, is a band called uh, Cults Des Ghouls. And they have a record called Hembane. Start with that record. I suggest everyone start. They're a, I wouldn't say they're a newer band. I think they've maybe been around for maybe five, ten years or so. To me, that's a newer band. But but uh, that record, I was listening to that record last night, actually. And, uh, you know, that is a very underrated record, in my opinion. I can't wait to check it out. This is going to be great. Um, All I can tell you is listen to it with the lights on. <laughs> You'll see what I mean. Well, dude, I can't I can't thank you enough for joining us and maybe answering some questions about our trilogy. Uh, it has really been an honor to kind of talk to you and pick your yeah. brain about some of this stuff, man. I really appreciate it. Man, thank you guys for having me, man. Absolutely. Angels Hung from the Arches of Heaven is out now. If you haven't checked it out, don't be uh, a stooge. It's out there. It's great. It's full of riffs. That's what we're talking about on this show. Uh, thank you so much for Dylan, Sammy. Uh, you've been listening to Riff Worship. See ya. Stay evil. <laughs> See ya. Stay evil. <laughs>